0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. Bringing in 2024, this is going to be the first episode. I'm happy to be back with you guys. I know it's been a while. It's been a busy time at the MSU, and I've tried to get a lot of different people there to come on this show, and they keep having commitments come up. So I'm going to try something new, ringing in the new year, and we're diving into Coast to Coasties podcast here with a good one. I brought on a recently featured person on the Commandant's Facebook page slash Instagram. His name is Andy Murillo. He's a diver based out of San Diego. And I'm so excited that he's going to be the first person that we've had on the Coast to Coasties podcast that is calling in via phone. So he's in San Diego right now. I'm here in Homa, and we're going to have a conversation for you guys here. So, you can learn about one of the coolest rates in the Coast Guard that, honestly, when I joined, I didn't even know existed until I was in boot camp. So, without further ado, Andy, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, like you said, I'm um, Petty Officer First Class, dv one Andres Murillo, currently stationed in San Diego, California at MSRT West at the uh, Regional Dive Locker here in San Diego.
0: Well, again, welcome to the show, Andy. It's very nice to be able to talk to you and take the time to be able to call in at a time like this where just so much excitement is brewing around the Coast Guard with different people asking so many different questions and wanting to know as much as possible all the rates. So I'm on a quest to get all those rates posted onto the podcast page at some point. And. I knew diver was going to be one of the hardest ones to find only because my location we don't have Coast Guard divers in HOMA. It's really nice to be able to talk to you and have you here. And I'd like to start with asking what I tend to ask everybody when they come on the show is what got you interested in the Coast Guard to the start of your career.
2: Yeah, for sure. Great, great
1: question. Again, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, not only in uh your station. But most places you're not going to find, unfortunately, find Coast Guard divers. Uh, we do travel all over the U.S. and all over the world. But maybe other than MU, we're probably the smallest rate in the Coast Guard with about maybe 70 active divers and active duty community in the Coast Guard. So really what got me interested, I had just been a longtime swimmer growing up. I had grown up swimming competitively since about middle school age all the way up until high school and I was one of the non-rates that was in boot camp presented with a unique opportunity to go straight from boot camp to dive school they gave us a presentation and after the short presentation in boot camp they asked anybody that was interested had questions to stay back and ask questions and anyone else that wasn't interested they go back to their respective companies and so I stayed back I didn't really know anything about diving and so I you know I I was just always comfortable in the water not necessarily in the ocean but in you know just in what I had known as far as competitive swimming so I stayed back I asked a couple of questions and the rest is kind of history I graduated boot camp and then I went straight to dive school about a week later Dive school is a pretty intense four and a half five months, depending on on when you go, which season you go to dive school, and it's it's an A school, so yeah, it can be pretty intense.
0: So dive school, when you went to there, I think they were mentioning is that at Cape May that dive school takes place? Like where is diving A school? So dive school is Navy dive school, Naval dive salvage. training center, that's going to be located in Panama City, Florida. It's run
1: through Navy, but Navy, Army, Coast Guard, and Air Force, and Marines. Yeah, so all all five branches, with the exception of the uh, Space Force. They all have a training program, diving training program there. Coast Guard, at the time that I went, we fell under a construction diver course. But now the uh, Coast Guard falls under a Navy, just an ND course. So at Cape May, you will start in Cape May if you're going to go the dive route. And they have actually what's called, I think it's a a week-long pre-screener in Cape May to pre-screen the diver candidates.
0: Okay, so they're going to send you to Cape May for a week and basically assess how you are as a diver, like your comfort in the water, your comfort under the water, just to make sure that you're going to be a good candidate that's going to go and pass diver school. At Navy Diver School, though, in Panama City. Correct. Okay. So, so,
1: so, so, in KMA, uh, you you're, it's kind of a crash course. So, they're gonna, it's pretty intense. It's an intense week. You know, they're gonna test you physically, mentally. I'm gonna give you some dive stuff to go over, a lot of dive knowledge kind of stuff to, uh, to study and see if you can retain it. And then they'll put you under some stress of physical activity while you're kind of spitting out some of of the stuff you should have been kind of retaining mentally as well. So it's, like I said, it's it's not a long time, but that week can be pretty intense uh, all, all around.
0: Has this diver program for the Coast Guard been going on for a while? Because it sounds like to me, especially now where it's like established, like how I was told in boot camp when I just heard about this diver thing, is that you have to be an E5 to lateral over to diver, and with it being such a small rate, as you're talking about, do people have the opportunity to come into the Coast Guard as non-rates straight to diver school anymore? Or are you pretty much only going to have these opportunities, you're saying, when you get to E5?
1: Okay, yeah, that's that's a, that's a really good question too. So in order to lateral over to E5, there are some things that need to kind of fall into place. So you need to be an E4 with all of your EPQs and RPQs basically ready to take the service-wide if you haven't already taken the service-wide. So you can be an E4 ready to take the service-wide, basically ready to advance, and from that point, you can put your package in. I think a lot of E5s do it because during that process, They maybe make E5, so maybe they're a junior E5, and they've started the process when they're more of a senior E4, if that makes sense. And then they make E5, and then that's when they go to dive school. So you basically have to be an E4, ready to make E5,
2: and you can start getting your package together and put in to go to dive school.
0: Okay, so probably not going to be able to come out of boot camp anymore. So you're going to have to... If you want to be a diver, be forthright and forward looking about it and prepare well in advance to know this is what you want to do for a path, even though you can't take immediate advantage of it to be competitive for it.
1: So there's a bunch of different ways that she can look at it. Pros and cons to you know having to wait kinda that time to come into the dive program, hence not being able to come in directly out of a boot camp, and I think they do that for a couple of reasons. From my experience, the guys that are divers, especially some of the older guys, they've waited a while to kind of be in the position that they're in, so they, they take a lot of pride in it. it. It kind of means something different to them, if that makes sense. And I think there's a, somewhat of a rite of passage for everyone that is a diver because we've all suffered through. You know, four to five months of dive school, we all suffered through it. We've all been through the blood, sweat, and tears. So we want to make sure that the guys that are coming into the dive rate are guys that have a clear head. They've got their head screwed on tight, and they've been
2: tested to work under pressure. No pun intended as far as... (laughs)
1: diving goes, or or pun intended, uh, if you'd like.
0: I I Um, think that's completely, but we'll we'll get into pressures, much um, (laughs) to my happiness later in this episode, because I do actually have questions about pressures, but please go ahead.
1: Sure. Yeah, but like I was saying, you know, we want want the guys that have kind of been tested and true, and I, I think coming straight out of boot camp, although we had a great bunch of guys coming out of boot camp in kind of the pilot program that I was in with uh, five other guys, five of us ended up making it. And we had a great group of guys, and most of us had had long careers in the Coast Guard. So I think they made a right decision trying that pilot program out. But I think that's why they tend to not have guys coming straight out of boot camp, go straight to dive school, as well as it's a pretty small rate, and I think they're trying to keep the
0: rate down to a minimum before they start to build it up. Well, with that being said, and now that people aren't likely to come out of boot camp as a diver, so they have to pick a rate beforehand, would you say there are better rates? Like, if you take a look at all the enlisted rates that you can be, would you say there are specific rates that lead into being useful in your career as a diver from what you've done over your time as a diver? Like, Maybe I'm just throwing out something that I could think of, but like one of the mechanical rates, like a damage controlman or a machinery technician may have very good technical mechanical skills that would be required of a diver too. So those are like really good backgrounds to be able to help you out when you get to that stage. I know in inspections, we think that way too, because of the stuff we're inspecting on vessels. We have a lot of help from damage controlmen, prior machinery technicians, and we got bosun mates that are very good at the job too. So you tend to see more of those rates line up, like those operational cutter underway rates do really well in inspections just due to the nature of the crossover. That's great that you kind of experienced that as well in the field that the Coast Guard has led you into. I
1: try to answer it as kind of directly as I can. So as far as a preferred rate, anything honestly would really be good. We have all rates across the board and they all are beneficial and they all bring a, a unique set of skills to the rate that we just divide and conquer on an everyday basis. So as far as uh, the question of is there a preferred rate or is there a, a more beneficial rate, I don't necessarily think that there is. My prior rate was an SK. And so in the rate, we still, we order things, we keep things on property, uh, we have to tag things to send back uh, if we have any kind of issues with gear. So any of my prior knowledge from my previous rate, it all is beneficial. We have BMs that know how to drive boats and they've been stationed on cutters and MKs that know how to work on generators. You know, we have, you know, we have welders and we have all kinds of special capabilities. We've got ROVs, things like that. So really, it's just, I would say experience Mm -hmm. in the Coast Guard is more beneficial. People that are just willing to learn, people that are just willing to enjoy learning. Those are the people that really, that the Coast Guard will benefit from, but especially just being in the DV rate, because we have plenty of stuff to do. It's great to have DCs and MKs, prior DCs, MKs, and BMs, maybe guys that have been in dry dock, stuff like that, where when we're diving, they know what a suction looks like, or they know what zincs look like. They know what the different machinery underneath the cutter while we're doing a shit 1000 you job. Those guys are highly, you know, they, they benefit us a lot, but it it also, like I said, it's just experience matters.
0: Yeah. I get, I get where you're coming from, from that because I think there's a lot of skill sets that can be applied to this diver position that, Like, if we encompass, like, the whole diver's job, which you're teaching me so much of right now, I have barely, like I said, heard anyone else explain this. So it's very nice to hear you explain this stuff. But I think back to uh, a little side gig that I had going on one time where I had to sell stuff and logistically, like, plan out really well. The logistics is such a big part to be able to move your product or... In this case, for divers, their equipment and get what they need and make sure logistics are sound so you have all the right stuff that you need for a job because I can't tell you how many times I've been in the Coast Guard with poor logistics and, you know, if you don't have the right tools to do the job, the job's going to be miserable. So having that logistical background mindset is equally as important to the success of the mission and that's where what you're saying is so valuable where it all comes together having everyone from all different spheres of the rates come together and essentially make this team that you guys have assembled a very unique put together build that just works seamlessly (laughs) from the sounds of it
1: exactly yeah um So yeah, I didn't even get into any of the logistical part, but that's huge. You know, I'm I'm a big operational guy. I love being on the road and getting deployed on the missions and talking to, you know, the boat personnel and just getting out there, kind of talking to the people that we're working with and being on the jobs and being on the road. So yeah, logistics is huge. So, you know, like I said, everyone is beneficial. Experience is beneficial. Being around, doing as much as you can. Logistics goes into everything. You know, we're staying at hotels, we're driving places, we're we're maintaining GVs, really anything that you can think of. That's more of our day to day. The diving is is kind of glamorized. You know, we're out there on a, a job, doing a a hull inspection or diving some aton. That's kind of the glamorized portion. Doesn't always happen. It doesn't happen the majority of the time, but. We have our kind of busy seasons, but then, yeah, yeah like you were saying, you know, the, the logistical stuff is huge. But then our day to day stuff is just uh, maintenance, the upkeep, making sure that our med kit's good. Just small stuff like that, you know. So we have HSs, we have guys that have been to EMT school, we've got MSTs. We have a guy right now, he used to be a DNT in the Navy, which is a dive med tech. So he's ex Navy, got a guy that was prior Army. So even these guys, they've already been divers, they get out for a little bit, then they kind of climb the corporate ladder again, if you will. And they've made their way back to E4 in the Coast Guard, starting as non-rates and now they're back to being divers. And these guys are highly beneficial as well, because they've already seen dive programs in other branches. And now on the Coast Guard, and they have a lot of input that is really great. Hey, this is how we used to do it, or hey, I've seen it done like this, or hey, can I make a suggestion, or whatever it may be. Those are the kinds of guys that it's on. Um, how can I say
0: it's? It's, it's like right, unmatched. Priceless. Yeah, priceless yeah, is a good word for it. Yeah. Is because you know experience like is key to all, all this stuff. Is like. That experience you just you can't replace. Priceless is a perfect word to use to describe it. I've just I've seen so many different times where experience saves the day in so many situations and you can't replace the valuability to the newer divers too coming into it having that experience to be able to teach and bring you into the system is so 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 beneficial. You mentioned also, though, like the day-to-day job isn't necessarily what the glamorize, like what you might see on a video snapshot of a three, if you got three minutes to show what the diver rate does, you know, you might not see that day-to-day stuff. So I was wondering what you typically would say, like day-to-day life is as a diver where you're stationed at now in San Diego.
1: Sure. Yeah. So basically it boils down to three things, maintenance training, and then purchasing. So we got to keep our maintenance on the gear up to date for sure. We don't want to let that fall behind because if any, you know, a, a mission can come up at any time and we want to make sure that we stay operational and our gear stays operational all the time, as well as not only the gear, but personnel stays operational. So maintenance of ourself as well. So we keep up with a dive physical, which is pretty intense physical. We have to do that every five years. And then our PT, uh, physical fitness test, we do that once every six months. And then training can be kind of a intense training, especially if, if we're doing a lot of missions. It's kind of the busy season. We need to kind of cram training. There's uh, some ma- uh, mandated, mandatory training that we need to do and keep up to date for everyone, like CPR, AED, uh, first aid mm. stuff, kind of like, you know, those, those kind of – life-saving knowledge, things like that, life-sustaining knowledge, and then also training as far as mission kind of critical training or mission-appointed training, you know, what we're doing, what kind of work we're doing, the under, uh, underwater ship's husbandry, cold-water ice diving, you know, we need to keep those that fresh in our mind. Although we're not doing it all the time, we need to make sure that if we do get called away to do those jobs that we are, our knowledge base is staying fresh and up to date with any changes and then, Purchasing, you know, we've got, uh, we got, you know, things to, you know, that falls into everything, you know, things to maintain, um, gears to order, we're getting new guys in, we need to outfit them with new gear, So we need to make sure that we're kind of staying on top of, uh, mission critical gear, maintenance gear. So that's basically our day-to-day.
0: Let's say that I'm a new diver coming in, for instance. I'm brand new to the unit, DV3, or would you start as DV2? How does that work in the diver? DV2. Correct. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah so uh, that's a yeah, good question. I, I can answer that pretty quick. So let's just say uh, you're um BM3. You get accepted. You go through dive school. You graduate dive school. You'll come out as DV2.
0: Okay, gotcha. So I come in as DV2 and I'm brand new, have no equipment whatsoever, what will I get issued based on all the missions and stuff, which we'll get into in this episode, but just what would you guys be getting ready to order and issue me? I'm assuming a couple wet and dry suits and uh, buoyancy vests, some air tanks, but I'll let you run through it all. Yeah, sure. I think it could probably be a little overwhelming. It's uh, it's a lot more stuff that I got when I first came to my first unit over a decade ago uh,
1: but um yeah it's like it's like Christmas so you're gonna get a travel bag and it's gonna be outfitted with a bunch of stuff you know we're gonna ask you for your sizes when you're in dive school and if you're on a good track and it looks like you're gonna graduate a couple weeks out from graduation we'll ask you hey what's your size t-shirt what size pants are you what size shoes are you what size wetsuit are you what size booties that's uh, the wet shoes that you wear when you put your fins on
2: and we'll, we'll basically outfit you in the water and out of
1: the water. We're going to give you fins, we can give you a couple wetsuits, we can give you a, a semi-dry and if anybody wants to know what any of this stuff is please just email me or if you want any other information. I'll go into detail about what these items are but yeah you're going to get probably uh, three wetsuits, semi dries. We'll get your measurements for later a dry suit Um, if we don't already have one for you when you report, we're going to get some fins for you, some booties, you know, a handful of gloves, three mils, five mils, regular work gloves. We'll get you a mask. We'll get you a snorkel. We'll get you Coast Guard dive t-shirts, green shorts. We'll give you a pair of boots probably another pair of shoes so kind of the list goes on and on you're not going to get any dive gear the dive gear itself like you were saying the buoyancy compensator and the tanks that's all stuff that is locker for locker use so we maintain all that gear everyone maintains the same gear and we take the the same gear out on trips but anything that basically touches your skin you're going to get issued that and you will that's for you to keep throughout your career you get a watch and when something breaks or when it's just, you know, you've used it up, we'll get, we'll issue you a new one.
0: Did they get one of those like cool Seiko dive watches?
1: So I have, yeah, I've got a couple. I've got uh, like the Frogman.
0: Oh my um, God, G-Shox. that's nice.
1: I think those are probably, I probably still have a couple of those my favorites. And now we've graduated to a Garmin and it's just whatever the preference of the locker is, honestly, whatever's the in thing right now, if you
0: will. <laughs> it's cool that you all issue such fancy watches, though. I grew up collecting dive watches from time to time, so it's kind of cool again to hear that you guys hand watches out to your new members. They're essential pieces, though. I mean, everyone needs one, so very justifiable piece of equipment to have for everyone to be able to get, and it's a nice personal flair to yourself, too.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm sure, you know, I, I missed a, a few pieces of gear. But yeah, it's it's nice to to have the gear that you need to do the job.
0: Okay, so this is another little aside thing, diving geek here, but anyone that's seen Scooby-Doo remembers Captain Cutler, and you know, one of those first, you know, monsters from one of the first seasons, that, like, diver-looking guy that glows. Do you remember, like, his, like, Type 5 helmet that he had on, like, something similar, like, one of those old, like, classic diver helmets? Do you guys, like, have, like, any, like, memorabilia like that, like, around your, like, dive shop to have hanging around?
1: Oh, Captain Cutler from Scooby-Doo. I don't remember that one. Oh, yeah, it's uh basically the Mark Five. Yeah, oh, yeah, Mark the Mark V 5 helmet.
0: I found one of those, and we have that hanging in my uh, dad's house. <laughs> so I oh, was nice. curious if you guys have memorabilia like that, like, just, like, hanging around the shop and stuff like that. Cool, like, old-school dive gear throughout the years.
1: Yeah, kind of funny you ask. Uh, we actually have a whole Mark V outfitted mannequin, a mannequin that's outfitted with uh, with an original Mark V diving suit. It's got almost—it's probably about ninety percent complete. It's got the weight. Uh, it's got the boots. It's got the suit. It's got the the helmet, the knife. We're just missing a few pieces for it, but yeah, it's 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 uh, it's mostly all there. Yeah, the old suit.
0: That's so cool. <laughs> Sorry. I, I I really like this stuff about divers. Another question I'd like to ask again into like some of the dive jobs too. So I want to transition this nicely for the viewers as well, listening in. Let's say that you guys, you know, you're doing your day-to-day job that you've described. How does the process go about getting called out on a job? So for instance, just give me an example. Let's say that like we get a buoy that gets flooded and it sinks to the bottom. Okay. And you guys got to go salvage it or scrap it, or whatever divers would do in regards to that Aton mission in particular. How does that come through, and how do you guys plan to go on one of these missions? So let's say you're based out of San Diego, but you get the call, and it's in, I'll throw out, uh, straight of Juan de Fuca up in Washington, up by Puget Sound. Could you walk me through that? Sure. So without getting into too many hairy details,
2: for... The kind of behind the scenes uh, stuff. There, there's a
1: what's called an RFF, a request for forces. So the command that is requesting divers will put in the RFF, and from there it will come down to MSRT West, and MSRT West is located in San Diego, but it's the command for all three lockers, which we have a locker in Hawaii, RDLP, a locker here in San Diego at MSRT West, RDLW. Regional Dive Locker West, and then uh, RDLE, which is Regional Dive Locker East in Virginia. And so it'll come down, and whoever's – usually it goes whoever's in the closest area will take that job. But sometimes if, say, RDLW, which is in San Diego, should take the job closest in Washington – We would take it, but if, let's say we have eight guys out on the mission and we can only provide four and they need four more, maybe they need eight for the mission, then we'll pull from maybe Pacific, which is in Hawaii, RDLP. So we'll get four and four guys. So from there, the job will come down and a DTL will be assigned, which is the deployment team leader and the deployment team leader is the chief. It can be an E6, but it's usually a, t- a chief or above. The DTL will then start to logistically
2: take a brunt of the logistical kind of work. In my experience, this is
1: kind of how it's been done. Then the DTLs that I've worked with will assign a lead supervisor on the job, which is an E6, usually an E6. And for myself, uh, if I'm the E6, the supervisor that's been delegated for the job i will then reach out to the command that we're going to go work for so let's say it's one of the cutters we're going to re- recover this aid i'll call them see if i can get all the you know the schematics of the buoy how much how many feet of water it is basically get the fit from them if anybody you know in the coast guard knows what a fit is yes um and then the lead supervisor will come down other e6s on the e5s and we'll kinda make a game plan. We'll say, hey, it's in X amount of food water. We're gonna be diving it scuba. We need this many tanks. We need this many lift bags. This is how you know the cutter wants to recover this thing. There's a little bit more that goes into it logistically, but that's basically the brunt of it.
0: So out of curiosity, going on one of these dive missions that you're going on. Let's say that because you mentioned the air tanks. I recently went on a commercial dive vessel out here in the Gulf, um, one of the Candy's dive boats, and they have these giant vats of helium tanks. He said that it's a very good quality thing for divers to breathe in, but it's very expensive at the same time. So a lot of these commercial company operations have recirculation units to retain some of that uh, breathable, you know, quality helium that they're breathing in. So I was just curious if the Coast Guard has a standard for what they give their divers and if they have those retention systems.
1: So the Coast Guard, we dive air, which is uh, 79% nitrogen, 21% oxygen. It's basically what the breathing air is just in the atmosphere here. We don't dive any other air. If we do, it's gonna be decompression on pure oxygen, 100% O2. But that's that's it as of currently. We don't dive heliox or helium or or any other type of air.
0: Okay. Do you guys ever like do the whole like have a dive in bell procedure for particular works? All pending on the missions and stuff, or
1: like um, saturation
2: diving.
0: Yeah, I guess that would be a good way of uh, asking about that question. So without getting too far into the weeds in case people don't know what it is, but, you know, just like different types of dives that you may or may not do.
1: As of right now, we don't do any deep compression dives. The Coast Guard doesn't right now. We just do no D, so no decompression dives, um, which, like you said, not getting too much, too in-depth with it. We can go down to a certain depth, We need to watch our time down there, and on the prescribed table and schedule, we can come straight to the surface without making any decompression stops.
2: So a good rule of thumb is like 60 feet for 63 minutes.
0: Okay, so that's the standard that you guys would pretty much go off of then?
1: So we use the Navy dive manual tables, yes. That's like our our bread and butter.
0: It's our go-to all right i guess then following that question then because you have that 60 foot limit that sounds like about the size of like let's say that i wanted to go commercially get a patty certification for my basic scuba or something like that it's, it sounds similar depths and distances to that so do you get any patty certifications throughout your work time in the coast guard or would you have to seek that out privately on your own if you wanted to
1: So going through dive school, I did come out with a rescue diver certification in the commercial world. I don't know if that's still offered at dive school. Um, That was, you know, 13-some-odd years ago. But if you wanted to be – something like that may still be available while you're at dive school. But if you wanted to go any higher than a rescue diver, I'm pretty sure, you know, like a master diver in the civilian world – uh, as far as paddy diving or I believe the other ones are now we I'm pretty sure that you would uh, have to kind of do that on your own time. Maybe, you know, don't quote me on that. I mean, you might be able to use tuition assistance or some kind of uh, assistance, but you it basically be you doing that on, uh, on your own time to get that certification outside of the military.
0: And then, unfortunately, take a beautiful trip to the Philippines to go do some amazing dives, right? <laughs> yeah, with,
1: with whale sharks or something like that. Yeah, that sounds terrible. But,
0: uh... <laughs> I did want to fill in the audience just because decompression and, you know, the bends is such a major concern and big part of diving. If you could just give a brief description on that through your eyes, I mean— How I would describe it is basically, you know, as you go deeper down that blood oxygen content, you need to essentially, you can't, once you get deep enough, go straight to the top. Otherwise, you will potentially, if you're deep enough, kill yourself just based on the decompression rates that you need to do it at. So could you just give a brief description of what that is to clarify what you guys typically don't do as a Coast Guard diver? Sure. So our no
1: decompression limits... They can go pretty deep, uh, deeper than 100 feet, deeper than 110, 120 feet. You're not down there very long. and So basically how it works is as you travel down the depth, uh, the breathing air that is traveling through your bloodstream, it's being saturated with nitrogen. So as you descend down to depth, the air that you're breathing are tiny little bubbles and they're traveling through your bloodstream. They're small enough to be slowly freeing. And as you ascend, you have a prescribed rate to ascend to. So it's 30 feet per minute. So if you're at 90 feet depth of water, it should take you three minutes to get back to the surface at the prescribed rate of traveling uh, as you're ascending. And what that allows, there's been a lot of research done uh, to figure out these travel rates and as you're traveling to back to the surface at 30 feet per minute, what's that? what that's doing is it, it's allowing these bubbles to be absorbed back into your blood and basically dissipate so that when you back up to the surface, essentially the bubbles should all be dissolved so that you don't have any more bubbles in your bloodstream and you're no obstructions, if that makes sense. Uh, what Now what happens if you go too fast or if you break that 30 feet per minute rule is the bubble will expand because now we're getting into <laughs> physics and a lot of stuff that things that are smarter than I am. Basically at pressure, at depth, the deeper you are, as something travels quickly, it will expand. So basically the air in your bloodstream that was allowed to free flow in your bloodstream at depth, if you ascend too quickly, it will expand. I hope I'm not losing anybody here. It will expand too quickly and it can cause a blockage basically anywhere that your blood flows to in your body. The worst one in, in our case, in anyone's case would be an AGE which is an arterial gas embolism, and that's basically a blockage of blood flow in your brain. That's a really bad day, but that's not the only place that uh, an obstruction of blood flow can can show up in your body, Uh, and it can show up as anything. Like you were saying, the bends, that's basically when it shows up in one of your joints, or it can show up in your spinal cord where it's actually cutting blood flow and now it can show up as, uh, you know, just a number of, of different symptoms that die relating illness, uh, numbness, it can be tingling, you know, like I was saying in the worst one, you can have neurological deficits, you know, so it can be minor, it can happen anywhere from minor to, to very, very major.
0: Yeah, I wanted to add too to what you're saying is, from industry side, how seriously they take this is that on this dive boat I went on, they have a decompression chamber because these people go hundreds of feet down to do their deep water diving on pipe repairs and stuff like that for the rigs. And when they come up in that decompression chamber, they get to stay in that chamber and cannot leave for, I think it's several days. So they have like food hatches that are dual pressurized to be able to receive the food without breaking that pressurization that they're at in there. And in the event that they have to abandon ship, then you have these divers in a decompression chamber, they have a specific tunnel that remains pressurized to a pressurized lifeboat that has a special sticker on it that says, there are divers in here. Do not open this, or you could kill these divers. And so the people rescuing that rescue boat full of divers has to pick that whole boat up and put it on its deck, and they can't break that. That's how serious they take that decompression Tone because it is it's life or death.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like I said, that um, that research uh, it's been done over countless amounts of hours and years, and it's just uh, it's, it's crucial. Um, they've done so much research on this, and yeah, it's it's like you said, it's 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 life and death.
0: Well, I just assume that safety is such a big part of your job and what you guys do and you train on regularly safety procedures and when you're out on the job, I'm sure you have safety observers and you don't know, always practice safety culture out there. So I was curious on what are some like common things you guys look for, like some dangers that you encounter being a diver.
1: So especially for Coast Guard, I've worked with Army and the Navy and diving tends to be... You know, since we all kind of go through the same platform for dive training, Coast Guard, we do kind of beat safety with a dead horse. I don't think that that's just in diving. I've seen it a lot when I was on the cutter. I've seen it on small boat operations. So I don't think that that's, you know, like I said, just specific to diving. But since Coast Guard is so safe, since diving is kind of such a, a dangerous evolution, Coast Guard does a very well job of kind of mitigating the safety factors, keeping everybody in tune and mindful of the dangers that are present uh, every time that we have and every job that we do. It can really be anything, honestly, the environment. It can be,
2: you know, animals. It can be machinery. It can be water quality, water
1: conditions, environmental, surrounding areas. There's just kind of every job, every mission is going to have its own unique, its own set of precautions mm-hmm. that, that everyone needs to be cognizant about. But uh, just, you know, just some that are kind of on every job. It could be boat traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be if we're diving underneath a, a ship or a cutter. It's going to be, we're going to be inspecting suctions and discharge. You know, I like to tell my guys, act as if those suctions are still live. So proceed with caution, just in case human error, just in case we happen to miss something. You don't want to just go straight up to that suction as if it's dead and it's, and it's not, it's still live, and it's gonna, you know, it's sucking 300 gallons per minute. So just be cognizant of that. As much as we don't like to think about it, like to keep it in the back of our mind, marine life is always going to be a factor. We don't see a whole lot of it because I think we're protected by the ships or the cutters or the small boat a lot of times. But, you know, we always have to be cognizant that, hey, we are in another environment. We're We're in their world, if you will. So just be mindful that, you know, these... These things are around. We still need to get the mission done so we can't necessarily let it paralyze us, you know, the thought of it, but just, you know, be, <laughs> kind of be aware that if something kinda of comes to check you out, don't let it they'll let it freak you out completely to the point that you can't finish the job. And then small boat traffic sometimes. I don't know if I already said that, but small boat traffic sometimes, you know, we're working in these busy busy harbors, uh, where there's other ships, other cutters. There's, you know, tugboats, uh, fishing vessels, there's container ships, there's just traffic everywhere. So not only with the traffic, necessarily, not necessarily the, the boats, but since we're down there in a completely different environment, you know, just awake,
2: just the turbulence oh. of that uh, of passing by container ship can bring, you know,
1: that, that kind of stuff and most of the times we'll be on comms. So we'll have communication with the divers so we can tell them, Hey guys, stay underneath the cutter, hang on to something. There's a big container ship or some tugboats passing by. We'll let you know when they pass, don't get kind of blown off the bottom of the ship, if that makes sense. Um, so it sounds like a lot and it sounds like it can be, I don't want to take away from the hazards, but, Coast Guard, the supervisors, we mitigate the things very well. We keep in constant communications with the divers to make sure that those guys are are, um, are safe, they're good. They talk back to us all the time, the entire dive. At the end of the day, we just want to make sure that we finish the job and everybody comes home safely.
0: Absolutely, 100%. Coast Guard-wide standard right there <laughs> on that. Last note you made, too, is that I've seen in ports sometimes exactly what you're talking about where you just have commercial divers in the water and, you know, these small pleasure boaters, are some of the most dangerous ones. They don't heed attention to those diver down flags and ride literally right over where divers are underwater. And had they been coming up at that time, it would not have been a pleasant day. So it really is the element that you guys need to be situationally aware and on your toes just of so those dangers and... Really hope that the boating community, you know, heeds attention to when they see those flags and stuff. But, you know, some guys, they just come charging through with the, their high-speed uh, little pleasure crafts, and you can't stop them.
1: Yeah, at the end of the day, like I said, you know, we just we want to make sure that everyone is cognizant of, of the dangers that are out there on the side while, while we're diving. And I like to tell my guys, you know, everybody kind of knows, keep your eyes out. Everybody has eyes. Everybody has, listen out. Everybody can say something. So, you know, I I don't want to, you know, like we already said, kind of use these, uh, Coast Guard, what can you say? These Coast Guard one-liners, but it's like, if you see something, say You know, I don't think, uh, I don't think enough can be said about that.
0: I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that one, as well as the, uh, some are going to coast and some are going to (laughs) guard.
1: There you go.
0: (laughs) Um, I want to transition because this is going to be something like if I was listening to this episode as a viewer, I'd want to ask, okay, you've told me a lot about divers. I know where you guys can get stationed, but where can you guys get deployed on missions? Like tell me some places you've been deployed and some cool things you've been able to do at those places, like outside the diving job on your free time.
2: Yeah,
1: for sure. So basically we get to travel the world. I couldn't have asked for a more, kind of vibrant and exciting career in the Coast Guard. I know everyone's career in the Coast Guard is um, is all different experience, different everything, basically. But I've been a diver for 13 years in the Coast Guard and I've been to some amazing places that I never expected to be. And I, I still continually go and deploy to some amazing place in the world that this job and this rate just continue to send me on. So uh, for my first four years as a diver, I was stationed on the walnut, the buoy tender walnut out in Hawaii, uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. And I was, uh, I was a diver there. The, the buoy tenders used to have dive lockers. Uh, they don't anymore. So as a diver on the buoy tender, we went down to Samoa at least three or four times, dove down there. We've been to Tonga, Christmas Island, Midway Island. Um, so many atolls just countless atolls in the South Pacific uh, been to all over the Hawaiian islands I'm pretty strong sure enough forget some places traveled all over I've traveled all over the, the US Seattle Oregon done jobs all up and down the west coast I've been actually to Louisiana to do uh, to do a job San Antonio Corpus Christi Florida and just recently, I did a second deployment to Vietnam, South Vietnam. I did, uh, my first trip to Vietnam was North, up to North Vietnam in 2019, uh, for a DPAA mission. I've been on Antarctica. Uh, i been to Antarctica, South trip to, um, uh, we stopped in Hobart we stopped in Australia, New Zealand. So it's just, I mean, it just kind of keeps going on and on. We go to, Alaska, pretty regularly, uh, Canada, and then the East Coast is just, you know, that's just kind of a beast, a uh, beast of its own. Those guys go all up and down. They go to Puerto Rico. Uh, so really, I mean, I think a better question is kind of, where, where haven't we been?
0: <laughs> that is a good way of putting it in, between like cutter experiences and diver rate in itself, because... Cutters is just such a hodgepodge of places they'll throw you on. Like, you think about those Red Hulls. They've been to a lot of places that you mentioned in the uh, Pacific, and I think that's a very unique opportunity that not a lot of people would get in their careers if they didn't, you know, have those unique Coast Guard experiences and the connections the Coast Guard has and the relations that we have with those ports that we go and visit in. So that's really cool you guys get to stop there and, of course, get to enjoy the local cultures while you're there for... um, each single area that you go to, hopefully, I assume in Vietnam you would have had some like good Vietnamese food a lot of times.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, like I said, sometimes, uh, sometimes I gotta kind of just, you know, remember the experience. Just say, Man, like, I can't believe I'm here right now. It's just, it's just embrace this. You know, let's, let's take it all in for what it is and really enjoy
2: this present moment. And yeah, in, indulge in this food. Yeah, let's go. Let's go eat the street food. You know, let's go. You know, let's go hang out with the locals. Let's go, uh, whatever it may be. You know, a lot of those,
1: a lot of times, it takes you kind of out of your comfort zone to go and do to experience, really experience where you're at at that time. It's great. I mean, it's. I look back on a lot of my career and just can't really believe where it's taken me.
0: And you know, I think the big thing to take away from your career, from what you've described on here is something that I've been relaying a lot in my episodes too, is like, you can just hear in the passion of everywhere you go, that you give your all in your career. And that's really what it boils down to is that you're making the most of your opportunities and you're giving yourself to the mission as fully as you're able to. And that's what I constantly tell people is like, you put in the effort, you put in the work, it'll take you to amazing places. And literally and figuratively, in your case, both, <laughs> especially the literally one with everywhere you just listed. So that's really cool to hear all the places you've been. I, I hope to get to go to some more of them, uh, in my own career as it progresses further along. It's, it's always inspiring to hear like where my fellow Coasties are going <laughs> and doing the cool things they're doing. I do, I want to kind of like tail into the Twilight sort of this episode with asking, More of an advice column, so I'll I'll ask it in two different ways. So number one, I'll start out with: you were older coming into the Coast Guard. You weren't, you know, eighteen out of high school coming into it. You had some life experience beforehand. What advice would you give? Because there's a lot of Coasties these days coming in that do have some of that life experience that are coming in in their mid to late twenties, just due to the nature of where life's taken them and the careers that they end up wanting to line up for. So being able to relate to those people, what advice would you give those older sort of non-rates coming in?
1: Oh, man, Uh, so much. (laughs) Enjoy what you're doing. You know, if you've, yeah, I joined when I was 26, so it's like I
2: appreciate everything, and I wouldn't change, I honestly wouldn't change anything, any of the past
1: experiences. Before that, I was, you know, I'd, I'd lived in so many other places before joining the Coast Guard and have been living on my own and uh, all those experiences really just kind of helped, helped my Coast Guard career. But for, you know, people that are, are kind of in the life situation that I was in, just work hard, you know, work hard, make all of your experiences really worth it. And I think a lot of the, some of the most difficult things for older people that are coming into the military branch period to, to any of the branches period is you're going to have supervisors that are younger than you, if that makes sense. You know, you're going to have the E5 that's 24, 25 years old. You know, I had, I was probably the same age or older than the CCs at boot camp, but you kind of have to just understand and keep in mind that there's a hierarchy to the military. There's there's a rank structure to this. Don't forget that. And also don't downplay your real-life experiences before the military or before the Coast Guard because those a lot of times are very invaluable. I feel when I came into the Coast Guard, although I was a little older, I was respected a little more. I was given a little more respect because they knew that I had already had some... Real life experiences. I wasn't just some, you know, not downplaying or saying anything bad about eighteen, seventeen, or eighteen year old kids coming straight from home into the military. We we need them. We need everyone across the board. They're just as valuable. But for myself, I was, you know, those older people. The older people they, they bring as much of that real life experience as you can. Bring it all into into the Coast Guard with you. You know, those are the guys that make the leading semen. Those are the guys that make, that really make you stand out as leaders amongst the guys that are coming in that need to be led, if that makes sense. We need good leaders and we need good followers. Guys that have done
0: the real world thing already. Maybe, that you know, you were a good follower already. You've made a good follower and now you're making
1: a good leader where, where we need you. So hopefully I will that kind of answered the question.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely it did. It's it's just because, you know, from my experiences, I've, I've seen so many people join. Even in my own boot camp class, I think the average age was 24. That's like taking on a median average. So it was definitely not a one-shot either. As you got to talking to other people, you'll notice a lot are joining later in their 20s. I think that's typical of the Coast Guard throughout its time. It's always had more older people joining than some of the other service branches, but just especially now with like, you know, the way that like people's lives are going, if they like the military lifestyle from another branch, and maybe they're coming in from another branch for that experience and starting over again, like you said, some of the divers in your locker have started over again. It's just really good advice to be able to give to those people of knowing, you know, how to utilize that life experience as they come into this new organization that they have yet to be a part of, but can bring so much to. I, w- I want to also ask before we wrap up, just, I'm sure you've inspired some people that are listening that didn't even know what a Coast Guard diver was beforehand. So one little quick quip is that if you've seen the movie Men of Honor, that 2000s movie about Navy divers, is Dive School anything like the way that movie made it out to be, or is that very Hollywoodized? Uh, could you give a quick take on that before trailing into my last question?
1: Yeah. It's harder than that,
0: okay. if you will. I don't know if a video or a movie
1: can necessarily encompass what maybe Dive School is um, until you've you know actually been to it. I don't want to discourage anyone, but... They're going to test you mentally. They're going to test you physically, and it's for a good reason. And like I had said before, it's a little bit of a a rite of passage, you know, for the community of divers and not just Coast Guard divers, uh, Army divers, Navy divers. I don't mention Marine and Air Force divers a whole lot because they're more of a specialized, almost like a a, a special ops, special operations, Mm -hmm. like a SEAL or or a Green Beret, like that line of work for the Marines and the air force. So we don't see them, uh, in the at dive school too much, but like I was saying, as far as Navy and army, we see them a lot at dive school. We're a lot in the, in the same programs. We do work with them in the field. So divers all have that common ground, that understanding that, Hey, if you've made it to be a rated diver, we know what we've been through, you know, (laughs) however they show it on, you know, portray it on the movies or, you know, in videos, it's, it's pretty intense. It's pretty intense. Yeah. So like I said, not, not to discourage anyone, but, you know, put your game face
0: on and uh, (laughs) get ready to, to get dirty, get yelled at and get dirty for sure. Well, then leading into my final question for you is, let's say that you've inspired someone just by listening to this episode to consider Diver now that they know a little bit more about it and you've really uh, led the charge on uh, you changing someone's mindset to maybe consider it as a career path after listening to you talk about it on here. What advice would you give them if they're just in the stages of getting ready to join the Coast Guard right now for getting... Um, prepare it and get as much information for people as possible. Cause I'm sure a lot of questions that might be going through their head are, well, I don't know any divers. How can I find anyone to talk about this? Can I shadow the job at all? Or how can I like prepare for this diver school? It sounds pretty intense. Like I'm sure there's a bunch of questions swirling. So what advice would you give that person listening in?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so you can always hit me up. You can always um, email me any question that you have and I can Put you in contact with your closest, with another point of contact at one of the lockers closest to whatever unit you're at. If you're coming, just coming to the Coast Guard and you want to go into the dive field, I would say ask as many questions as you can. Whatever you want to know, we can fill you in. We can kind of let you know whatever questions you have. Some people may want to get into the fastest moving rate to get to make e4 like i was talking about senior e4 ready to make e5 and go over to dv i would say pick something that you're going to enjoy just in case the dv thing does not work out mm. um, again this is not to discourage anyone from this but if in your pursuit you find maybe that it's not what you thought it was, or maybe not what you're looking for. Whatever it may be, it can be. How can we say it? We spend we can spend a lot of way a lot of time away from home. So if you've got kind of a new a young family, and you're going to be gone two hundred days out of the year, you know, just that's just once just one example. But maybe it's something like I said. Maybe it's something that you weren't expecting in your pursuit of getting into the dive field. You don't want to take a rate that's just moving quickly in order to get to DV. You want to still get into a rate that you're going to enjoy. If that makes sense, get into a rate that you're going to enjoy. Ask as many questions as you can and really use that time wisely before you get into the dive rates. Use it wisely for physical fitness. Use it wisely for your rated experience, whatever rate you are, if you're DC, MK, BM, whatever. The more experience that you can bring from Big Coast Guard will only make you stronger in the dive rates. We can use all the experience from each person, as much experience as, as they can bring to the table. So... I would say it's, it, it's going to take a little bit of time to go from getting into the Coast Guard to getting into the dive rate, but use your time wisely. It's, it's going to seem like a long time, but it's going to go very quickly. Uh, and before you know it, you know we're going to kind of expect you to come with all of that experience. And like we were talking about before, you're going to have qualifications, you're going to have check rides, you're going to be expected to perform because you're not just an E3, you're not an E2, you're an E5, senior E4 coming into a rate where there are people that we hold each other's lives in in our hands.
0: Mm-hmm. We, we
1: I, think, I think that's what makes us very, there are other rates uh, that do that in the Coast Guard, but as for divers, when you're down diving, you're depending on that other guy Like I said, he he carries that. He he holds your life. You know, you guys are the only ones down there. Something was to happen, God forbid, you're the one that needs to be able to bring that guy home to his family.
0: Absolutely. That's very well said too is about it. Is you know, out there in the field, I mean, you'll you'll see this for everyone listening, you know, even a lot of people getting deployed to cutters for their first units, but you have each other's lives in your hands and it only gets more and more pertinent, the smaller your circle gets that you guys have each other's lives. And with the diver community being such a tight knit community, that rings true so strongly with what you're saying. And thank you for sharing that as well. I think it's a very powerful message for everyone to hear coming in to go along with that. I I throw in also enjoy the ride. Like Andy was saying, well, you're going through those early stages. Don't try to always think about. Well, I can't wait for this. I can't wait for this. Like, look at where you are right now in the moment. What if your cutter is in Tahiti? You don't want to be thinking about what's going to happen five years from now. You want to enjoy Tahiti while you're in Tahiti, and just make the most of all of the journey. Every step that got you to where you want to get to was a valuable step, and. You'll see that later down the road and it'll ring true only the further you get and I think that goes along exactly what you're saying, Andy, about not taking those first few years lightly and getting the most out of those years for what you want to get out of them.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's great that you said that. You know, it's like if you're on a cutter and they're in Russia, you know, don't be only thinking about, hey, well, I could be a diver down in, you know, in Antarctica or something because if you end up being a diver in Antarctica, you know, you have to be present as to where you were because now you can say, well, and I was just on a cutter in Russia and now I'm down on a cutter in, you know, so that, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of times I have to remind myself of that. And I just have to, it, it's great. It's great to have that mindset and to just, you know, be present for every experience, not just in the postcard, but, you know, be, be present where you're at, where you are right now so 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 real quick uh for for anyone so a, a good place to start as far as pursuing the dive rate uh maybe you're at e3 or you're at e4 getting ready to make e5 like i said ask questions but so so i'll mention something that's kind of important so the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to put you through a do a diver physical fitness test because this is like it's paramount it's it's uh everyone needs to pass this this is not overlooked or undercut for anyone in the dive rate it's the standards are held across the board for anyone trying to get in male or female and so i'll just kind of give you so what you need to do is first is have a pt test a diver pt test administered by someone and to get a really good dial in on your times so So the diver PFT is going to be a 500-yard swim, and I believe it's under 14 minutes. Mm. And then you're going to have, I believe it's a 10-minute rest. Then you're going to go into 42 push-ups with a 2-minute rest, 50 sit-ups, Uh, with a two-minute rest in between, and these are all two-minute intervals. So the push-ups is 42 push-ups in two minutes, and I believe it's a two-minute rest, and then uh, 50 sit-ups in two minutes with the two-minute rest, and then six pull-ups, non-timed, but they're strict dead hang pull-ups, six of them, male and female, And then after that, I believe it's another 10-minute rest. And if anybody wants to uh, email me about this information, I'll I'll send it to you, I'll send you the actual form. And then a mile and a half run, in under 12.45, I believe.
0: 12.45, whoa. After after all that swimming, the physical stuff too, that's crazy. That means you gotta stay in good shape and go to the gym regularly, stay healthy, (laughs) eat well and living a good active lifestyle <laughs> don't slack so on those off of, days
2: <laughs> yeah
1: it's, it's kind of funny that you say 1245 you know that's, that, that you say it like that because a lot of times when, when we tell people what the diver PFT is a lot of the reaction is oh that's like that's easy that's no big deal well a 500 yard swing in 14 minutes is no big deal by itself you know, 50 push-ups, 42 push-ups is no big deal by itself. You know, six pull-ups is no big deal by itself. But when you put all of these things together and you're doing all these movements and it takes just about an hour to do it, once you add it all up, you, you, you'd kind of be surprised at how many people struggle to compete complete at all.
0: I can say, hands down, I can do six pull-ups easily if it was just the six pull-ups, but after doing (laughs) 10 back and forths in the pool and push-ups and sit-ups, I can tell you if I didn't train for this diver PT test, I would not be passing it due to the nature of the beast of it all being back to back to back like you're describing. So you don't want to take it lightly and you want to come in prepared and take it very seriously and train if you're getting prepared for this career field.
1: Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, like I said, uh, uh, again, I don't want to discourage anyone or scare anyone. I just I just want to give them the reality of what it is. And uh, so that's kind of the first place that we would start, kind of see where you're at at the diver PFT because that's hard found a lot when you go to dive school and before you go to dive school. So I want to make sure that uh, you're good to go in that area. So, again, if anybody has any questions or if they want more information on that, Please reach out to myself, and uh, I can get you into contact with uh, with someone closer to you in your area.
0: Um, if you're comfortable with it, Andy, would you mind uh, just providing a good email for them to reach out to you directly at? Like maybe like just your Coast Guard email or something?
1: Of course. Yeah, so it's going to be Andres, A-N-D-R-E-S dot N as in November, dot Murillo, M-U-R-I-L-L-O at uscg.mil
0: and our emails you know we'll get to them eventually if we're on missions you might not get to them (laughs) right off the bat but andy will answer your emails if you email him and he will gladly help you out you can tell from this lengthy episode that we really care to give you the best information possible and we love sharing information about this i've learned a lot today myself so i assume you guys have too and i just want to Thank on behalf of the viewers, as well as myself, you for your time, Andy, in this episode and providing such great information, agreeing to do this phone call interview.
1: Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm um, glad it, it worked out and we were able to, you know, work out a time frame. Again, I don't you know, want to beat a dead horse, but if anybody has any questions, please feel free, feel free to uh, shoot me an email.
0: Glad to help. Well, again, like Andy said, Amazing, amazing career that you can have as a diver, and it's so unknown if you don't know the right place to where to look. So please, if you have any interest, maybe even just considering it, shoot him an email like you said, and reach out. He's going to know a lot more than I'm going to be able to provide you. I, I'd love to be able to point you in the right direction if you reach out to me on the Instagram page, Coast to Coasties, but. Again, I'm only going to be able to facilitate putting you in contact with someone like Andy who's going to be able to tell you this stuff because he's the one that knows about the diver, rate And it sounds pretty cool from what he's been saying. So definitely if you have interest and you want to check it out, reach out to one of us and we'll get you to the right contacts and you'll hear about more amazing journeys and stories and how you can better prepare to become a diver. Thank you all for tuning in. Again, I know it's been a while, but... Now that we know these phone interviews work out pretty well, I'm going to hopefully get some more variety of guests on here for you guys to be able to hear about more missions the Coast Guard does and more cool jobs that we do. So until next time, please stay safe out there, enjoy yourselves, and I hope
2: to see you on the next episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. Thank you.